2: Hello and welcome to yet another week of try noons is an Absolute Podcast. With you as always, Steve Haller. Joining me on this wonderful week of way too much orange news, which none of us realized, uh, Andy Pregler and Christian Guzman. What's going on, guys?
1: we neglected in our pre-show rundown to mention that Pete Davidson also paid attention to Syracuse for some reason. Unfortunately, yeah.
2: that meant we had to pay attention to Pete Davidson, so here we are. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: It always shout makes out, me a shout,
1: shout, shout out to our friend from syracuse.com, Mike Curtis, who has been put on the unofficial celebrities coming to Syracuse athletic events beat. Good <laughs> beat, it's, a, Do, it's I don't know. a busy beat
0: lately, but yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, Christian, I don't know if you remember this when Arrow Man would just show up to a Syracuse football yeah. game once Steve, a year, Stephen Amell? Yes, yep. he, I don't really, really, I did, I did some digging into this apparently. This was up until the co- up until the quarantine. He had I don't know what the connection was, but he he's, had a friend. He's or, so he's from Toronto,
2: and yes. just yeah, I knew like he was adopted Syracuse as like his team. I think yeah.
0: So once a year, for ten straight years, he and his friends would just get a box at the game and get absolutely trashed in Syracuse. And the there is a great story of apparently after he became famous for the Aero show, uh, a, a Syracuse fan attempted to fight him in the Carrier Dome. And that was not the last time that he visited, but I think it was the second to last time he tried to visit. So that celebrity's beat has been
1: weird for a very long time.
0: Yeah, 13 years in a row he came.
1: I can't we have nice things? I mean, this is why in Central New York. This is why in Central New York we cannot have nice things. Yeah, that sounds right. It is very accurate. But you know what is nice that happened this week?
0: Men's basketball won two straight games, which means that they are on a three-game win streak. We are officially streaking. Uh, I'm going to take...
1: snowball on fire? In the immortal
0: immortal words of NBA Jam, he's heating up. (laughs) The Syracuse (laughs) Orange have won three straight games in the ACC against Wake on the road against North Carolina State. Uh, They beat Louisville. Yesterday, they now go to Boston College in a couple of days before heading down to Blacksburg, back home against Boston College, and then Georgia Tech. That's, we talked about it last show, it's an incredibly winnable stretch, and it feels like the ultimate troll job to do the the whole thing where they have this giant run in the middle of the ACC play where they suddenly vault into the top half of the standings. But before we start prognosticating on what Syracuse could do, what they have to do, all those different things. I think things. there's there's a cream for that.
2: <laughs> and now we've broken
0: broken both of my co-hosts. Love this. I love I love how we're off the very, rails in 5 I, minutes. This is very close to disconnecting and walking away.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we should talk about what Syracuse did, uh which was win two games. And I sent you guys a spreadsheet because I got bored after making dinner before the show. And just wanted to see how big of an offensive improvement had taken place over the last three games. Uh, I'm just gonna say this: Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard have gotten incre- like so much better in these last three games. However, the how much better is better is basically this: in the ACC losses this year, Buddy Beheim was shooting 31 of 95 from the field. Joe Girard was 19 of 62 from the field. Uh, that is good for 48%, For uh, that's 32% for Buddy, 30% uh, shooting for Joe. In the winning streak, Buddy is shooting 48% from the field, Joe is shooting 40% from the field. That is double-digit improvement from both of them, and uh, listen it's not a situation where I necessarily say that you need to feed those guys because we've seen what hero ball can do. Looking at those guys, three point shots during the ACC losses literally made me sick to my stomach, but I will say when they get going, the rest of the orange offense gets going with them. So the
2: follow-up it it's from almost that, like
1: we do, It's almost like we don't have to do any analysis. Hey, Syracuse, you want to win games? Score.
2: Yeah. Shoot Just better. simply
1: score. Just, just so,
2: simply be better. So the even more glaring number that you decided to put right next to that, and I don't know whether you were getting there or haven't gotten there yet, <laughs> but uh, three-point field goals? Uh, if you Apparently, the, the recipe for Syracuse winning games is just improve your three-point percentage by 20 percentage points in both cases almost. <laughs> like... So shoot just, 20% just better through. from three. Like, hit 20% more threes. And when you take a boatload of them a game, that's a good number of threes. And three times that many points is a lot of points. Um, apparently, that's just how you win games, is
1: make three point shots. Because during Do you realize the streak. We've what's that? Do you realize we've alienated about half our listener base because we are doing math.
2: Oh, yeah. But during the streak, both. I was going to say Juddy and Bo. Uh, that's <laughs> – I, I, I didn't realize we were covering the University of Syracuse. I apologize. Juddy um, uh, and Bo who is, is – that's it. That's is that who's on the fighting bias this year? Is that going to be the title of the show this week, <laughs> Juddy and Bo? Yeah, Juddy and Bo.
0: Juddy and Bo. <laughs> Juddy and Bo. Uh,
2: so, actually, the the Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard so the, showed up during this streak, this quote-unquote three-game win streak. Is officially Juddy and Bo because during the normal course of the season they're shooting twenty eight and thirty one percent from three. During the course of this streak, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde version showed up, and both of them are almost shooting fifty percent. Buddy is at fifty, and Joe's at forty seven. So this is definitively Mr. Hyde showing up or Dr. Jekyll showing
0: up instead of Mr. Hyde. I'm genuinely amazed with how this all played out. And in general, like again, the numbers are just staggering. I'll share the Google Doc in the uh, in the article if you all are on the newsmagician.com site, uh, so that you can just see the basic numbers. But the thing that got me, and we've talked about this a lot uh, on this show, is that the supporting cast is basically the other three starters. Uh, Beheim is not going to play the bench, nor should we expect anybody coming off of the bench to have significant uh, contributions. But during the win streak, the rest of the team that is not Juddie and Bo are shooting 68% from the field and 72% from three. In the ACC losses, they were shooting 43.5% from the field and or 34.3% from three. I mean, that is insane improvement, but I think, Christian, it kind of goes to the fact that there's a lot of people cough, cough, Cole Swider, who probably should not be taking the volume of shots day in and day out that they were taking while
1: the team was figuring itself out. <laughs> I think the more underrated part you brought up the bench is that Jim has actually decided to use the bench. He's just decided to use it earlier and for longer stretches of time. And as Kevin has pointed out multiple times, When you do that, it gives your starters the opportunity to rest for the important second-half stretch that Syracuse has so often earlier in the season failed to show up for. And because of that, it allows the starters to stay in the game for the second half to really not only cement their lead, but pull away, which is just a big thing. And to go to your last point, no one... On this, no one uh, in Syracuse expected Cole Swider to be the primary scorer. And so when Buddy and Joe weren't having it going on, that started to shift. Okay, now we need someone else to help pick up the slack. Because if Buddy and Joe don't have it going on, teams can sit back and just stop Jesse from getting the ball. And then once that happens, you need someone to step it up. And Cole wasn't hitting those shots. Yeah. But once you had Buddy and Joe starting to hit those shots, teams had to respect them, which left Cole open on favorable matchups, which is the big thing. Because he works really, really well as the second or third best option. He's not going to be the primary scorer, nor should he be. But when Buddy and Joe can actually start hitting shots, and create the spaces that they started to do at the beginning of games, that unlocks Cole towards the end of the game, which is what we've seen from Swider. Yeah. He gets better as the game goes on because the teams aren't focusing on him. They're focusing on trying to stop the flaming snowballs that are Buddy and Joe.
2: Yeah, and the other nice thing that uh, Swider doesn't have to worry about when you're up by 30
0: points is playing defense. So That would yeah, also, that also be a
1: helps. good thing to not worry about. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the uh, Cole Swider has missed eight shots in his last three games combined. There were many games this season where Cole would miss eight in a single game. Uh, So his efficiency has just absolutely picked up. Same thing for Jesse. Jesse is, um, you know, he went five for eight against Louisville, eight for nine against NC State, uh, and then throw on another nine for 11 against Louisville. Like, this is... This is just a team that right now has figured out the right mix of supporting cast and stars, and they're firing at all they're firing at 110 percent. That being said, I do think it's very, very important to point out that this level of shooting efficiency is not sustainable. Not even the Golden State Warriors were this good shooting the ball uh, when they were at their peak powers. So there's going to be some regression here. I think really the question becomes, Steve, is this going to be a is is the mean what we saw during the loot like during the tough ACC games, or is the mean somewhere in the middle with a little bit of a higher ceiling? Like I think that that's going to determine whether or not Syracuse makes the tournament or finishes this season strong or not.
2: <laughs> yeah, that'll be a weird one because where that pendulum swings is going to decide exactly what's going to happen moving forward if we fall off this hot shooting streak too early and you lose to one of these teams that should be a knock on wood the way they're playing easy w or a w um because nothing seems to be easy this year unless you're playing the last two games uh or losing to colgate uh that was easy too the uh sorry i'm just i'm I'm letting it rip this week. <laughs> COVID's, COVID's got me uh, all sorts of fired up, um, but I, I would oh, assume the, the foot of snow didn't. Uh, no, no, we I, I've been losing <laughs> uh, losing steam on that because the kid's been out playing in it, and when you're when your kid's four, you're out there playing with it with them, playing in it with them. So I Whether you're or not. A- energy energy levels like physically are. Pretty pretty tamped right now, um, but yeah, the going into this last stretch, I I think the regression will be above the mean of what we saw at the beginning of the year. I think some of the adjustments do make sense. Some of the adjustments have been, you know, it's, it's Jim Beheim. Some of the adjustments have been the right adjustments. He knows what he's doing. Um, but the like you said, the the sustainability of this pace is it's it would be unheard of if they kept this clip up um like literally just not possible so there yeah. will be a regression i don't think it'll be as back to as bad as what we saw at the beginning of the year and what could have been the you know uh, arguably the worst team that Jim Beheim has ever coached um i think they've found a couple of pieces that'll hopefully take them out of that uh that cellar so i don't know christian your thoughts
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. It's it's so tough because, yes, you're expecting this to not be the standard that Syracuse upholds itself to. It just gets scary because once it starts dropping, how desperate does Syracuse get? And does it become, oh, crap, we're not making our shots— now let's start trying to force things to create our shots, which drops the percentage even lower. And what I'm getting to that is there might not be aggression to the mean so much more than there will be a very Dr. Jekyll and very Mr. Hyde
0: Yeah.
1: and no transition stage in between where you would like Syracuse to live.
0: That seems in line with 2022, to, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. The, I think I think you brought up something that I really wanted to touch on, which is the like looking at who Syracuse has yet to play. We we know what the recipe is for shutting down this team. Nothing about what's happened during this win streak has changed the fundamental philosophy that if you're if you face guard and on ball pressure Joe or Buddy when they're the primary ball handlers things tend to go sideways pretty quickly. The difference is is that, you know, the last couple of weeks, the Orange haven't really played anybody who's been able to do that consistently with the exception of Duke, who is obviously still on Syracuse's schedule. So it might be a situation where if a team has the matchup and the capability to do that to Syracuse, you see things kind of grind to a halt. But if they don't, things continue to move at a much better than anticipated clip. And when it comes down to it, you really hope that something changes because Steve brought it up earlier. And I, I did want to end the conversation with this is that people are starting to talk about what Syracuse needs to do to get back onto the bubble. And the reality is, is that if you look at their resume to date, uh, the resume is bad because there are a few losses on there that are excusable, such as losing to VCU, losing to Auburn. Those are t- losing to Nova. Those are totally fine. I don't think anybody is going to fault Syracuse for losing those games. They are going to fault Syracuse for losing to Colgate at home, and they are really going to fault them for losing to Georgetown, who might go winless in the Big East. And if those are two of your like losses on your resume that you have and you're on the bubble, those are bubble poppers. The Orange are going to need to do a lot of work. That's going to require a lot of wins and probably some big wins where we will have to, like Christian, we're going to have to see Whether or not they can bring out that hot shooting persona against a team that wants to on-ball pressure them and, you know, cause problems. I don't necessarily know if they can, but I do think that this next stretch of games is going to give them the opportunity to potentially get confidence for that. Um, So it's just, I I think, yes, those who are listening did not see Steve's face when I said bubble uh, and tournament talk. The reality is, is that that is the face that everybody should have uh, until the orange do something that can eliminate one or both of those Colgate and Georgetown losses that they currently have, just that are literally ripping the resume to shreds right now. Yeah, it's <laughs> just
1: it's just unfortunate because after BCVT, BCGT, it's good luck.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, those,
1: because, the of not mistake, are not because if I'm not mistaken. Not, those are the top four teams in the ACC right now. I'm actually going to look it up. Um, Wake might be up in
0: there, but I, I, your sentiment stands correct, where it's UN, What it's uh, Duke.
1: It's Notre Dame, Duke, UNC, Miami.
0: I feel like those are probably four of the top five, if not the all, outright top four.
1: <laughs> Wake Forest is still in third, but yes, it is four of the top five. Hmm. Somehow Duke found its way into into second at nine and three, even though they had a shocking, uh, uh, they had an absolutely shocking uh, out of conference. Yeah,
0: and I well, I think that that's Christian. That actually reemphasizes my point where I think committee members are not going to give you a bad conference loss. They're not going to look at you know losing in the grind of your conference schedule as necessarily a blight against you. Yeah, if it's gets Pitt, it is. <laughs> but I do think that the out of conference losses that Syracuse have are infinitely worse than the loss to Pitt. But again, Colgate and Colgate and Georgetown are two of the teams that are just worse than Pitt in general. So you know, not really.
1: You don't really have to compare apples and oranges too much there. Let's remind. Let's remind everyone that Colgate only. Colgate lost by three to NC State.
0: Colgate's a weird team, and we got them at their peak, which is peak Syracuse. Well, Syracuse. no, Colgate, Colgate. Is a weird Colgate.
1: team too. <laughs> no, Colgate caught Syracuse in the Marina's trench. That's what happened.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that was a great nerd reference, and why people come to this show. Uh, I think, I, I think at this point, obviously, uh, we're going to be in a position where next week we can either we're either going to be talking about the Orange continuing this streak and us getting our hopes way too high. Or when we're going... We going to
1: talk about what are we going to talk next week? That's going to be an awesome philosophical question. We need to yeah, answer.
0: yeah. For those who are paying attention to the live stream, will we go live in the middle of the Super Bowl? Probably not. But maybe one of us has a kid, the other two don't. So we'll uh, we'll have to figure it out around around I'll, the. Month. I'll be here, and the Bills lost, so I really don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is that I'm not going anywhere. It's just a matter of whether or not uh, there will be a one or two people over here who get me in a state where podcasting is not the smartest thing in the world. Uh, That is that's the reality of the situation there. So we'll we'll plan that out for everybody who's watching. Uh, Before we get into more of the sports news that happened from this week, I think it is really important that those who are listening to us and might not have visited the site this week Understand that the Syracuse Armada is now a thing that exists. Uh I don't mean that as a joke. There is a fishing boat that literally halted the Russian uh navy. Uh, I don't really under I don't think you really need to know more of the story other than all of a sudden we are invested in Irish fishing
1: boats. Yeah, we, no. need, house- we, we need house we need house divided bot to get on this like immediately. <laughs> oh god yeah that
2: so I don't even there's no even there's nowhere to go like it's just too absurd like a picture showed up of a boat that had literally script Syracuse all across the back and it's it's literally named Syracuse and we're like okay how do we figure this one out Kevin immediately was on it Uh, got a I can't remember who uh, pointed him in the right direction of um, vessel finder so yeah. you can shout out to, to
1: El Papone on Twitter. Nice, thank you, yep. thank you for sorry, thank you for your investigative journalism, as they call it. Oh yeah, <laughs> so gotta love it. There is the uh,
2: the the Ottoman Empire has now been uh, expanded to uh,
1: the we naval fleet. We, we
2: now have a naval fleet. So
1: <laughs> here we go. Okay, so which Irish athletes are we pillaging next? I mean, we already got we already got Courtney Brosnan for the women's soccer team. Okay, yep. who else are we getting? Mm-hmm. Um, hmm.
2: That's actually
1: like who else do we now lay claim to our territory? Out of well, great
2: Irish athletes, those of you since since both of you are not olds, you don't remember Matt Gorman. And uh no. Maddie, Maddie G had a uh, a stint in Ireland playing professionally. So uh, former Irish or former Syracuse Power Forward from Watertown actually, uh <laughs> played uh played in Ireland in their professional league for a bit after the uh Natty.
0: So I was gonna ask the question Is Coach Mac technically Irish or England? Scottish? I thought he was English. Okay. okay.
1: He's English. I thought he was Scottish for some reason. I was I was very confused.
0: I was going to confuse him with Irish and Scottish descents, which I know is a very, very thing that I do not want to do ever. No. No. Um, But yeah, I I honestly don't know if we have any Irish internationals currently on the team. But this is adding new layers and wrinkles for any of you uh, 16 to 18 year olds thinking about where you would want to go to school to continue your athletic prowess. And uh, are of Irish descent. You should seriously consider coming to Syracuse, as we now have an Irish vessel. And again, <laughs> I, I my favorite part about this whole thing, and this is 100 percent a segue into our ad read, is that it is script Syracuse straight out of the home field apparel collection of vintage Syracuse apparel. It is that legitimately brand alignment coming mm. coming together. Uh, I should really tweet at Connor and ask him to make us a script Syracuse boat shirt. It seems like something ridiculous enough that they would do. It would sell either a ton or none. But whatever. They have a lot of t shirts sitting in their warehouse. They're all very comfortable. I would wear a Syracuse boat shirt. Oh, 100%. I'd be
1: all Mm -hmm. over
2: that. And I'm sure they could get one of their artists to, or an artist to, like, pretty it up. Yep. You know, take some artistic license
0: with it. But yeah, a Syracuse boat shirt would be. does it get more noons? No, I don't think it gets more noons than that. And if you use promo code noons N U N E S, you get ten percent off your first order at Home Field Apparel. So go on there, grab that script Syracuse T-shirt, so you can match our fleet logo and uh, say hi to Connor and the rest of the team over at Home Field Apparel for us. Uh, on that note, we get to talk about football because. Uh, For a week that was obviously dominated by positive basketball news, a lot happened in football this week. And we're going to start with National Signing Day. So National Signing Day used to be when we would do all the talking about recruits, but now the early signing day period in December has kind of taken a lot of that luster out. However, for a school like Syracuse, National Signing Day is actually a big deal in the sense that Syracuse had a pretty solid class on National Signing Day, or on early signing day, but with the number of transfers that were going out, with the number of big recruits that Syracuse were targeting that ended up being impacted by the crazy coaching carousel that took place, it very much benefited Syracuse to have open slots available on National Signing Day, And I feel like they've used them to a pretty solid degree. So, uh, Christian, what were your initial thoughts on National Signing Day now that we got to see the list of transfers and recruits as a whole coming into the program?
1: You'll say that definitely, like, the the big, like, point is that Syracuse really, from what it seems like, hit it out of the park in the transfer portal uh, when you consider the uh, transfers that Syracuse brought in. In terms of uh, uh, the big one being Elijah Clark from Rutgers, uh, Dan Valori potentially, um, and then C.J. Hazer the uh, one, Jawan Price, uh, doing very, very well as well. And then on from the freshman side, uh, the big one being Francois Nolten, which is uh, the four-star recruit out of uh, well, uh, Florida.
2: One of two four-star recruits Indeed. because we did have you a have- huge flip. From uh, uh, Georgia yes. Tech.
1: Yes, uh, defensive back Greg Delane, uh, also from Florida, also four stars from ESPN, um, as well as Nolan. Um So th- those are two big, big gets. Um, nice. The only caveat that I'll add to this is that I would have liked to see more wide receiver and more offensive line help. Um, Steve could probably talk more about the offensive line stuff. I think for me personally um, yes there's a depth on the offensive line where there's no standout player on the offensive line that you say yes this person could help also Bergeron anchor the right side and lock it down and make sure that we don't have air on service um, 2.0 th- that's my only issue um, in terms of the offensive line is while there's depth, there's no standout piece yet that I'm like comfortable with, uh, and and wide receiver because uh, we still don't know who's going to be the alpha in the wide receiver room. Which yeah. is the more pressing, which is the more pressing thing, um, because I think you do need an alpha in that wide receiver room just to help out with the quarterbacking situation. Um, I know Steve, looking at you, you uh, I don't think you completely agree with me on the offensive line thing. Uh, but wide receiver. I you that idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but uh, wide receiver. I think uh was a big miss in this receiving class. Yeah, I think I think
2: you're not that far off on that. Though a couple of the uh the transfers do give you a little stopgap there. I think um I think there may have been from the receivers, uh maybe some benefit of the doubt for some of these young kids, um from Babers and. You know the the staff the staff that was and hopefully the staff that will be, um, the the whiteouts though definitely would have been nice to grab another another piece or two there. I think the bigger issue was on the other side of the big fat men in the trenches. Um, the the O line we have especially with the emergence of Kalen Ellis last year, we have a solid starting five. Like we have five guys that can very easily start, and we saw the willingness of Dakota Davis to play out on the tackle if that means. Carlos Veterello plays center. Um, I I would be perfectly happy with a um, Bergeron, Ellis, Veterello, um, Bleich Bleich, uh and um <laughs> Dakota Davis.
1: For, for those of you who don't know, uh, Steve has Chris Fleish's pronunciation written on his whiteboard above his computer, yeah. and that has not been re- erased for a good year and a half.
2: Nope, nope, still phonetically up there. Um, but that starting five is solid. There's a couple of young pieces that we brought in with Enrique Cruz, West Ho. Um, there's probably more that I'm completely forgetting. Austin Quai. Uh, last year was a pretty solid talent-wise offensive line class, so I'm not as worried about what they were doing there. The D-line, we are... Th- Thin. And I don't yeah, not mean... Like, now that
1: I, not, not you say that, yeah, I forgot about the D-line. Yeah, yeah they, like... there, There isn't a lot there.
2: And not just bodies, but, like, physically thin. Like, there's no uh-huh. beef. And uh, it'll be... I, I would I would assume uh, Chris Acuff will try and bring in a transfer at some point. Like, we haven't gotten any help anywhere. Um, just, I think, Belzer set and maybe one other D lineman but i think that was it um and like if they don't grab one in the portal we're working with pretty limited uh bodies and pretty limited experience
0: yeah i i'm looking at the 24 7 the total list that includes both the um uh the early signing days and to, uh national signing day along with um you know the uh, all the transfers and really you know there's there's some preferred walk-on status there's some unrated guys like kevin jadobi who's six four two fifty. 250 but a lot everybody that was ranked that syracuse brought in on the defensive line really profiles as more of an edge rusher which is fine and those are really good to have it's just not what the 335 as we've seen so far needs especially steve as you pointed out you know if you're not going to have a true nose tackle who's going to just sit in the middle and and take up blocks, you really have to ch- fundamentally change the way that that defensive line works and then what the rover does in that system, and you're basically now remaking a 4-3, um, which is not what this system is set up to do. So I, I'm very intrigued on that front. I think defensive line, after after all the dust has settled, after all the transfers have come in, There's definitely some real questions at the wide receiver position in terms of who is going to produce. But you can at least see that there's guys with a solid spring and a solid fall could become contributors. The offensive line has your starting five. We know that the quarterback room is what it is. We know Sean Tucker's a beast. The defensive back room looks significantly stronger and the linebacker room is very top heavy. And there are at least depth pieces there that we can see potentially becoming something. Defensive line is basically a giant question mark with not a whole lot of depth. And I feel like for a team that over the last three years has really struggled with injuries, that is your biggest concern considering how big of a step forward the defense has taken over the last couple of years under Tony White. So, that's I, I did not leave very much room for follow-up there. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think one of the other questions I had coming out of all of this, um, and this will will I promise we're going to get to the football schedule sooner, uh, football nerds, we are getting there. Um, but when we By take a look you at mean the-
2: John, when he's listening and wondering why the hell we haven't talked
0: about it yet, <laughs> exactly. Yep. Uh, the, I think one of the things that I'm still curious about. Is who is who from this class, if any, are going to step forward and play right away? And that's not because there's a lack of high-end talent here. We we talked about how great Nolton is and LaQuint Allen uh, at running back is really solid and could end up, you know, competing for that backup running back position. That being said, it feels like where and what we need right off the bat, like Christian, like you said, and Steve, like you said, If we had had a high-impact wide receiver freshman come in, they probably could have competed for a starting spot on day one. Same thing with a true defensive lineman who had the size. Instead, we've got a bunch of edge guys that, I mean, we'll see what happens when fall rolls around, but this might be the first time under Babers that we don't see a quote-unquote true freshman start from day one and be an impact player from day one, a la Deuce Chestnut this past season
2: yeah it's yeah it'll be it'll be interesting I would say because you got to look inherently if you're trying to mine somebody who's going to get early playing time outside of the craziness of Kalen Ellis this year which happened because of injury you're probably looking at an early enrollee so uh, another thing that happened this week is we did find out officially who is in as early enrollees so Francois Nolton, Lequint Allen, dom foster dennis jacques mckay mason jeremiah wilson cornell perry donovan brown and the sorcerer supreme himself max von marburg um (laughs) the i think of those you gotta look to either knowlton or jacques just because of the position they play um as to possibly you know getting some run or getting something early in the depth chart um I don't think. Well, I guess Allen running back is a lot thinner than it should be, but um, they seem to also want to just hand the ball to Sean Tucker and say (laughs) here head of every carry. So I don't know. I don't know what uh, what's going to happen there, Um, and or do we know if Josh Huff will be healthy by the spring game? That'd be nice. Yeah,
0: that's a great question. Um, Was the spring game announced this week as well? I feel like it was. Oh it my god! We'll get to that
1: later. God, there's so much that happens. <laughs> uh, a little behind-the-scenes look at News Magician at Troy International Podcast before we move on. Uh, we when, when we all load up into our chat before we um, go live, we we take a quick scroll and see. Okay, what actually happened in Syracuse this week? And every single week, we go, "Oh my god, this actually happened this week." Yeah, and it's usually something major dropped
2: that day after we recorded. And yep. then it just snowballs from there, where it's like, "Oh, and that
1: happened. Oh, and you we wrote really that article. Change. And oh, we Kevin said that." Really, and... <laughs> we really should change our, the tagline of our of our podcast to be recapping the year that was the past week.
0: <laughs> Sounds about right. That, it is, that is accurate. It's amazing how long seven days is. Uh, that is always my always my revelation here. Let alone when we like take a week off for, over the summer, and then suddenly that week we take off, something absolutely
1: bonkers happens. Uh, so yeah, what existential crisis that all adults live on to uh, <laughs> discover. But let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, before we break Christian
0: even further and myself mm-hmm. even more further, let's talk football schedules. So as we just alluded to, the spring game was announced. Um, Syracuse is going to have a spring game on April 1st, and the rest of the football schedule is as follows. I'll read it off really quickly before we get into our thoughts. The season opens on the September 3rd, uh, Saturday against Louisville, and the Friday game is later in September against Virginia, so for those listening, every game from here on out is going to be a Saturday. Um, so they open against Louisville on the 3rd. Then they go on the road to Yukon, come back home on the 17th to play Purdue. Friday the 23rd against Virginia at the Dome. Homecoming game, October 1st against Wagner. So that Wagner game got moved later in the season, which I think is probably a win because it ends up being a de facto bye week. Uh, going into the actual bye week on the 8th when they will f- play the fighting byes. Uh, they have coming out of the bye week, they have the NC State Wolfpack home. They then go on the road to Death Valley on the 22nd to play Clemson. Notre Dame comes to the Dome on the 29th. They then go to Heinz Field on November 5th to play Pitt. At home, November 12th against Florida State. On the road uh, to finish the season at Wake Forest on the 19th and at Boston College on the 26th. So... We have an article up on the website that kind of asks a lot of the generic questions that you always want to ask for the football season. Like, what's the biggest stretch? What are you most surprised by? What are you happiest by? Um, I think I just want to ask each of you and we'll and we'll start with Steve. When when you look at this football schedule, what is the first thing that really kind of jumps out at you now that you've had some time to marinate on it and really kind of sit with it and see what Syracuse is going to be working with? how imperative it is
2: to start out the season hard and strong because once you get to that stretch from October 15th to November 5th, you're pretty well looking at, well, because we're traveling to Heinz especially, uh, you're you're probably looking at four straight losses right there. I mean, NC State's going to be one of the better teams in the conference, and according to Bill C.,
0: one of the better teams in the country this year. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. For those that don't know what Steve's talking about, our our Bill C., who does SP+, Plus, that we all use very heavily in our football analysis, is going to be dropping... Oh, that'll come out this week, too. Remember that oh for the next God. podcast. <laughs> he will be dropping his full season preview this week, and he is teasing out that NC State might be one of the best teams in the country this year, which is terrifying. Just absolutely terrifying. And that just opens the stretch, because then
2: you go to Death Valley, and then you take Notre Dame... At the dome, which hey, we're getting butts in seats, but I'm not holding my breath on that one. And then Pitt last year was a solid team. You know, uh, Kenny Pickett list Pitt will be interesting, but um, we don't know, win in we don't win in we don't it, win in right Field. You know, we don't we don't in any sport. Or well, the things at
1: Field, I forgot. Oh yeah. no.
2: Yep we we don't go there and win football games. So it, it's funny when you look at the back half of the schedule and Florida State's the most winnable game that isn't you know, in Boston. Kind of crazy. Yeah, Christian,
1: what about you? When's the last time that we've had a uh, senior day that early in November? November 12th is a really early last home game.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that lines up funky because, yeah, the the BC uh, Thanksgiving Day game, you know, we, we traditionally go back and forth on, but... To have not a home game prior to that seems a little
1: little odd. Yeah. Um, but like like Steve said, like the the overarching theme of the schedule is you have to start out hard early because after the bye it's just brutal game after brutal game after brutal game. And as much as we would love to think that BC is an easy game at BC at the end of the season when Syracuse has probably decimated its roster already due to how thin it already is. Is not a fun idea to have at that point in time. So, yeah, the I'm not gonna lie,
0: the game that scares me the most, and scare being in quotations because this is Syracuse version of scared, which means that we are in galaxy brain level of overthinking things.
1: Is against the University of Syracuse. Let's move on. <laughs>
0: No, it is against uh, Boston College to end the year. Like, I'm, I'm looking at this schedule, and without going through every game prediction, there is a very clear path to four wins in the first five games. And Purdue, we don't know, really know what Purdue is. Last year, they were a very solid team, but one that didn't really play extremes very well. They didn't blow anybody out, and that allows... For a team like Syracuse to potentially hang in there when Syracuse plays a game that Purdue likes to play which is slow possession plotting football so all things considered we could be looking at a back half of the season where they are just searching for that sixth win and like Steve said NC State's going to be really good Clemson is almost impossible to be at home Notre Dame is going to be really stinking good, and Syracuse is going to be beat up after going to Death Valley. We don't play well at Pitt. Florida State's a wild card. All this is leading me to say, like, by the time that we get to that Boston College game, the roster is going to be tired. It's going to be a bowl or bust game. There's going to be a lot of pressure on the program, and in general, like, I think it's worth pointing out. Aside from the one season where Syracuse, you know, won ten games, Dino Babers does not win road games in the ACC. It's just not something that has really happened for him at Syracuse, no matter who the opponent is, no matter how bad the opponent is. Syracuse finds a way to lose road games. And I just feel like we could get to a point where that final game turns into just an absolute meltdown for the fan base, who is going to have been sitting on bull hopes for well over a month. And there was so much about last season's discourse that was uh, pot melting over, boiling over. I feel like this is at that point you've just set the kitchen on fire and it's the community meme where you walk into the room and it's like how does how did the Syracuse season go? opens the door, sees everything's on fire everybody's screaming, there's a gunshot wound in somebody's leg and you just are like, okay. Cool. You guys do you. I,
1: yeah, I think a lot of us are also ignoring the very real possibility that on September twenty-third, Brennan Armstrong just says nah fam and decides he's gonna make Syracuse's secondary his literal living baby. <laughs> the I, I did say this in the in the piece and,
0: and Steve, I think you were kind of uh a, your your point was on top of this is that Getting Louisville of Virginia early is probably the best-case scenario, all things considered, because of the turnover that they have, and it's really the only way the Orange can potentially start the season
1: fast. Is Malik Cunningham still a thing? Yes, Malik Uh,
2: Cunningham is always a
0: thing.
1: No, that's not (laughs) great.
0: I have to double-check on that. Um, Malik Cunningham. Okay, let me rephrase that then. Louisville
2: quarterback with potential to hurdle you is always a thing.
1: <laughs> uh, uh,
2: yeah,
0: yep. There, there we go. That, that
2: there, sounds good. Right. There,
1: there we go. <laughs> now that's
2: uh, uh, right, you were talking right about that BC, game oh, boy. Um, that BC game Yeah. Uh, oh boy, that BC game. Jurkovic and Flowers have both said they are coming back. Correct.
1: Uh, yes. Yeah, I think.
2: So the only saving. I know. Place I know Jurkovic.
1: I know Jurkovic is probably definitely coming back. Um, I'm not sure about Flowers. Yeah, I'm pretty are sure we're hearing
0: Flowers back. Malik Cunningham announced on December 3rd that he's returning to Louisville. Oh, that's fun. Um, Let me look
1: up Safe Flowers.
0: Um, yeah, oh my gosh. I'm just realizing, though, that if you're a Syracuse home season ticket holder fan, like you can get to see Malik Cunningham and Brennan Armstrong in the Carrier Dome in like the span of a month.
1: Save Flowers is returning. <laughs> hmm. uh, let's look up the Yarkovic. Big Guts. Huh? Uh, well, see you later. Yeah, uh, because I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure your is also coming back
0: So I guess the question becomes now knowing all of this talking about like we just in in the span of 15 minutes just kind of uh, made ourselves very scared for this football schedule which is funny because three months ago we all were sitting here saying we knew the schedule was going to be very hard we knew it was going to be difficult, etc. Knowing all that, uh, Steve the spring game is always your baby you you do love seeing some spring game, seeing some action there. Uh April First is my first we... look at the offensive line. What else do I need? <laughs> uh <laughs> April when April first rolls around, knowing what we might need to do in order to win some games, what are you gonna want to see out of the spring game? Uh obviously we're not gonna see anything near live game action like the old Marone days. But hypothetically speaking, what would you what would you need to see to make you go, hmm? I feel less worried now. Um, is there anything that could that could be done to make you be less worried? <laughs> I don't know if there is, actually. You're the optimist, so if there is something it's going to be, you're the only one who would see it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, any
2: of the pieces of the puzzle that are being added that may benefit us, we're not going to see that development quick enough to see in the... Spring game. That's going to be stuff that we won't see till the beginning of the season, till camp. Um, you know, if if Velary turns good and is the next coming of the best quarterback we've ever seen, not holding my breath on that. Um, if you know, uh, Sean Tucker is going to run for seven thousand yards um, in he, a track singlet. Right in a track singlet. He does he officially have to wear that under his uniform now? Probably. <laughs> So uh, probably.
1: is probably yes.
2: <laughs> That's all right. That is now noon's canon. Um <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, yeah, I mean,
2: a, a lot of a lot of the pieces to the puzzle, mostly the quarterback puzzle. Like, I feel like our entire season hinges on what the quarterback position can do. Um Half a year isn't enough for an A and back in, in like two months as it is isn't going to be enough for and back to rework Schrader and unfurl whatever potential there is in his arm. Um that said, we should, you know, maybe see a little bit of improvement or a little bit of change or we may be able to see some of the the play play calling grooves that uh, they're they're looking to utilize for him. So, uh, I don't know what we're going to glean out of the spring game, but it's at least bodies on the field doing things.
1: Yeah, I think uh the actual like answer is our first look at the quarterbacks is our first look at Dan Laurie. I think also our first look at Justin Lampson, because we really haven't seen any of Justin yeah. Lampson. Not even not even in um the limited practice time that we got to see in summer ball in the summer practice. So that I think is gonna be our big things is can is there a quarterback who can actually throw said ball?
0: Yeah, I think I'm I'm really interested to see if we get into a position where um... yep. Yep. Oh, We just lost Steve. Hey, I'm back. For those yep. that are on the live yep. stream. That was Good. weird. Cool. Yay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Back. Uh, no, Maybe. I think Yeah, I'm here. OK, cool. Yeah, uh, I think one of the things that I'm most interested in uh, is not is, on the quarterback side is not just did we how are these other quarterbacks doing, but it's what is Garrett Schrader done on the offseason? Like, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that what is wrong with Garrett Schrader's game is not incredibly evident and is also not incredibly tech- technical, like There is there's plenty of opportunity for you, if you're Garrett Schrader, to go out and work with a quarterback coach, spend some time this offseason, and really hone in on these fundamentals that are preventing you from being consistent. Because that's really the thing with Schrader, is that we know that he can make some throws sometimes. It's just that he doesn't make them in any form of consistency that matters. And you have to think with a new quarterback coming in, with the coach literally saying that he does not want to run this run-and-gun style all the time. And by run-and-gun, I mean literally run the ball or throw it deep. Uh, you, you have to understand that your arm has, it needs to get better. And I'm really curious to see what part of his game has evolved. Because <clears throat> we talk about it every time we talk about Garrett Schrader, we talk about Eric Dungey. That was the part about Eric Dungy's game that was really impressive was just how well he improved his arm, his accuracy, his ability to do the things that Dino Babers was going to ask of him each progressive year. And it's and it's a testament to Dungy and just how good and how devoted he was to getting better at all aspects of his game so that by the time his senior year rolled around, he was truly, you know, an unstoppable weapon. I I want to see if Garrett is going to go along that same line or if it's time for us to start looking to the future and look at somebody else because that development just isn't there.
1: He needs to, I mean, because we saw what happened when there was just such an imbalance on the offense. And Sean Tucker, while we would love to see him run 30 times a game, that's just not sustainable for a second season in a row. Oh so come on! Sure it is. Right, <laughs> no, we
2: want we want him to be able to continue to walk after this, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, never mind then. Yeah. I mean, don't you? Right? Right? Um. <laughs> we. So, like, that's what you would. I mean, yes, Tucker might have a little bit of help when you have Jawan Price and Josh Huff and maybe a Allen also in that running back room, but. There needs to be balance in that, and it's not going to be a high school offense. You don't want it to be an high, a high school offense, especially against the defenses that are in this ACC, and against the defenses that you need to win games against. So Schrader has to throw the ball, and it, it's got to be a it's got to be an off season of okay, what can you do well, and what can't you do well. If you can't do anything well, then that's a problem and then that's an issue you need to solve very quickly. But if you can do something well, like Schroeder has shown that he can complete some good short passes, like on slants to Courtney Jackson, then try and create offensive sets to open those up more regularly. I think that's basically what you have to do.
2: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to, to be able to Pinpoint what he can do and to tailor something to it. And if there's nothing he can do outside of being a second running back on the field, which is what we were tasked with for a good couple of games last year, uh, especially towards the tail end when people figured out, hey, take away the inside shoulder, he's not going to throw over the top of anyone, and you're good. Like, if they can isolate to the point where it takes out any ability of him to make the plays that he needs to play make the make the plays he needs to make in the air, then they need to do something else. There's no there's no two ways about it.
0: Yeah. I I I definitely am I'm happy that we're in a position where this team is at least interesting. That this is not a boring situation. This is not an offseason we're going into where there's things that we expect. There's a lot that can change. And I legitimately hope, all things considered, now that we're we've got a spring game date, we know that it's going to be televised. We know that
1: that returns me to a question I had uh, a couple of weeks ago. When's the last time a spring game is actually televised for Syracuse?
2: Never.
0: There used a one year. I think it was my freshman year. It was televised locally on CNY Central. Oh but, yeah, they may have done it like on yeah okay yeah. Gotcha.
1: But was, this, it ever, was it was it ever was it ever on the now former Time Warner Sports cables sports channel?
0: I mean, that might have been it too. I honestly, they all kind of blur together in my brain. Uh, I'll check there, with Johnny and see if he ever covered one for if they ever actually <laughs> televised it. <laughs> there was definitely one year when it was televised when I was vaguely aware of it, of of Syracuse football, but I do believe the practice stopped with. If it didn't stop with Schaefer, it stopped the year before Schaefer came in because they believed it would get more people to go to said spring game. Never Um, does. No, never does. So I'm glad that they're televising it. I'm glad that there's going to hopefully be some media opportunities and there should be an opportunity for us to hear from and talk to the players and the coaching staff because there's a lot of questions that we have. And I'm really intrigued to see what the general vibe and what the personality of this team is going to be. Um, because it's gonna this is gonna be a really difficult season
2: yeah
0: and they're gonna need to they're gonna need to have their shit in order in order to get this uh get the season through so on that note we have almost completed our entire tour um but we do want to do our weekly wrap-up of non-revenue sports let's talk about the olympic sports because christian the olympics are happening and syracuse
1: has an olympic tie (laughs) Syracuse does have an Olympic tie. I forget what her name is, but it is a, um, it is a former, uh, women's, uh, hockey player who is a captain on the Japanese lacrosse team. Uh, team. The hockey team. I'm in lacrosse mode because lacrosse (laughs) starts next week. And we just saw a goalie assist in the Duke Vermont game. Um, Oh, fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, so that is fun that the uh, the Syracuse that Syracuse has a um, a tie Akande Hoso Yamada I think is her, how you pronounce her name um, but Fantastic. yeah captain is an is a alternate captain at uh at, uh for Japan which is great and Japan I believe won their first two games and um in their pool of uh. Uh, women's Olymp- olympic hockey. So, congrats Ooh, to du- them. Big W there. Uh very, very, very I love much so.
0: After the summer olympics where Syracuse was on, you know, front and center on a lot of things, it's great to great to see some winter love too, even though uh I'm sure that those of you who are just local CNYers might know some people down in Lake Placid who have connections seeing that <laughs> Lake Placid and the general Central New York region is going to be where you're going to get Americans training and living or being from when it comes to a lot of those more specialty uh, winter sports that take place. Shout out to Lake lugers. Placid. There's yeah. I think three,
2: three losers from Saranac and Placid. Uh, Karen Chen, who is a figure skater, is a
0: Cornell student. There so. we go. The The sun will never set on the Ottoman Empire and its navy. <laughs> All right. Uh so what do we have coming up
2: for the the uh Jetty and Bo show? What's what's coming
1: you know, up this week? Um we'll, we have to figure out when we're going live next week. <laughs> the Johnny
0: and Bo show will go live whenever we go live, which uh we'll figure out this week and we'll let you twitchers know. Uh thank you as always for watching us live on Twitch when we do this uh when we do this broadcast. And thank you to everybody who re-watches us live because you like to watch us do funny things and see how the Legos are progressing in Steve's background. Uh, I also want to do a big shout out to those who have been listening to us. I know that at this point in time, you're not getting John and Dan back. And thank you for those who have stuck with us. (laughs) (laughs) We really do appreciate it. And for everybody new who is joining in on the podcast fun, we're glad to have you here. Uh, We really do appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe, rate us, review us, give us five stars. Uh, If you don't give us four stars or if you don't give us five stars, we're going to assume that you're a Georgetown fan and you don't want that. So please give us give us all the good ratings, help the algorithm uh, continue to promote our show. And we really appreciate you doing uh, your great supporting. So, yeah, there's my spiel. Uh, I think this is another week where we can end with an actual happy-go-orange. Yeah,
1: sure. Go-orange. (laughs) Go-orange. That.